And the name of this series is simply this. Uh, it's simply the mystery of Christianity. And I think that most of us know that at one point or another, there are people who are confused about Christianity. And there are people that want to know more about what it is. And oftentimes they have been hurt or they've been damaged by some form of Christianity that is not the real Christianity. And I know it is our goal and our job as a church here at Austin First Church uh, to bring the original Jesus Christ and the Word of God to every person, to every home. And so we begin this tonight and we're excited about it. So I want to go to our first lesson tonight on this series and I hope it will be a blessing. It's one that um, the Lord gave to me a few years ago about helping us have context when we study the Word of God. And so I want to go to that subject tonight. And God bless you tonight. Thank you for joining in. Are you ready to go to the Word of the Lord? Somebody type in the comments, yes, I am. And let's get into the Word of the Lord. You can be seated right now. And thank you so much if you're standing. Thank you for standing. I'll be going straight to my topic tonight and not, not to a scripture reference because I'll have many of those later on to come. So I want to first by talking about uh, start talking about tonight the mystery, the mystery of Christianity, and give you an introduction to what we're going to be dealing with. Um, I have had so many people have the wrong view or the wrong lens of what Jesus Christ came to do and about the followers of Jesus Christ. I've seen so many people hurt, so many people take things out of context, so many people been hurt by pastors or hurt by ministers, people that they called themselves a Christian. And so I believe that the lens of Christianity is blurry. I believe there are a lot of people who are wondering about it. It's no surprise that the Bible talks a lot about uh, Jesus Christ and a mystery. Our faith and the word mystery is used multiple times throughout the Bible, and we'll be getting to that more and more. One of the issues, I believe, about the mystery of Jesus Christ is a lack of understanding God's Word. How many of you remember out there that we preached about the battle for the bread not long ago, talking about the importance of us having to make sure we have daily bread with Jesus? I mentioned in that video, uh, in that sermon that day, that we need to talk more about understanding the Word of God and how to study the Word of God. Tonight we'll go right along with that, because tonight I want to talk about the fine print and God's Word to help us understand that it's more than what you think it is. And if we will ever learn to study God's Word the right way, to study God's Word, not just read God's Word, I believe it will help us a lot to have clarity less confusion, and that we could all raise ourselves up to the standard of knowledge of who Jesus is. So I want you to type right now the fine print, and if this is if you're a typer. See, not everybody's a typer. We got typers, we got shouters, we got all those kinds of folks in church, and tonight some of you are typers. Some of y'all didn't know you were typers. You know how you know you're a typer? Usually when you're not a shouter, you're a typer. That's because you would rather type it then shout it. And so this is catching the 50% of the church for years who you never felt comfortable lifting your voice up in church. Now you can sit there like a little mouse and you can just tap on your, your keyboard. And so let all the typers type and let all the shouters shout. The fine print. Have you ever heard a car radio advertisement through a salesman? I know a lot of us have heard these before. Uh, we, hear the, we hear them all the time trying to sell. In fact, right now, apparently, there's amazing deals out there. If you want to get a car, I mean, I'm hearing the word on the street is, is they're dying to sell you a vehicle. And right now, you might be hearing a lot of deals. I mean, 0% interest for 72 months, uh, giving great deals out there. But I know I have heard these salesmen try to make a pitch and make me want to buy a car. And at first, it, sells so, it sounds so amazing. I love listening to it because, man, 
man, the first few seconds of the advertising, I'm ready to go buy that brand new truck right now. I mean, they're selling you on how nice it is. The brand new GMC tailgate can do everything and cook dinner. It's amazing all this cool stuff that can happen. And they talk about all the amazing parts. And then there at the end, I mean, well, let me just give you an example. It's like brand new F-150 crew cab, four-wheel drive, leather towing, navigation, Bluetooth, wireless cell phone, uh, charging, 10000 off MSRP. But if you hurry in today, you will get a special $1,000 cash off, cash back, and only 200 payments a month, $200 a month on your payments, and it sounds so good. And we're ready to go down there and buy that truck, which is probably just one truck on the whole car lot with that deal probably sold when you get there but they get you so hooked and then at the end of the exciting clear message what happens at the end of the message is there not this voice that comes on the radio it could even be the same guy it's amazing how he changes his voice from exciting to all the details to this really bland this bland boring message at the end if you listen quietly at the end it'll say something like this 65,000 msrp eight percent financing for 10 years first three customers Wait a second, did he just say, what did he say? I couldn't even hear him, it was so fast. That's, that's like the audio version of fine print. It's the part in the, in the commitment, it's the part that you have, to, you have to line up to that you don't like. So what do advertisers do? Advertisers will actually take the fine print that makes you lock into the commitment and they'll make it real boring, they'll make it real quick, they'll make it real small because they know that they're trying to hook you in on the good parts that you like. And they don't want to dwell very long on the parts that you won't like. Like all the parts where you'll have to sacrifice something. Give something up for what you get. And so tonight, I want to talk about the fine print. How about those smart apps? You know, the smartphone apps, software that we download nonstop every day. How many times have you pushed the button that said, I consent to, or I agree with the terms and conditions? And if you have ever done what I did one time, and actually made the mistake of scrolling through it, I had to scroll with all my might to get the thing at the bottom of the page. Because whatever that thing was that they wanted me to agree to, it was pages of fine print. All I want to do is get the app on my phone. I don't care about whether I could go to jail or whether I could give up all my money. No one cares. Everybody just wants to hurry and get the app downloaded. Everybody just wants to get the new uh, windows that came out, uh, the new thing that's out there. No one wants to read the fine print, uh, but the fine print exists. You've got to agree to the fine print before you have that amazing new thing you're going to download. People always like, hey, what books are you reading? Because I'm a pastor, right? So they, they think I sit around just reading books all day long, like read, 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 read. And, and I'm like, I'm still trying to finish the Bible, okay? All right? Those of you that have a lot of free time, I'm like, I'm, I'm studying the Word of God first, and everything else is going to come second. But then also, sometimes you could joke like this, I'm still working on the Windows XP consent thing I signed back in 2012. It was like 48 pages. I said I would agree to that, and I have no clue what I signed. Like, like it's, it's funny, if we really took the time to read all of the things that we are agreeing to, we would have zero time. None of y'all be bored right now if you just go out there and start reading all the stuff you said you promised you would do if you downloaded it or if you bought it. Like when I got my house, my mortgage, I, I went through that, that 30 pages with a fine tooth comb. I wanted to know everything I was signing because my, my 30 years of my life is in that contract. 
30 years of my life is in that thing. I went through and asked questions. I picked it apart. Uh, I tried to make sure that I understood everything about it. Uh, we've got to make sure that we know everything that we're getting into. Most of us don't really take the time, though, to read or understand the fine print uh, because we want the product right now. We don't care about what it's going to cost us. Uh, we don't care about all the other information. We want the good thing right now. We really don't have the proper context of what we agreed to. And technically, we are bound by the agreement we sign. Bound to it. But we give it no thought. Because who cares about the fine print? Some historians claim that there are around 33,000 different Christian denominations. That is a staggering number to think that we could all be the body of Christ, all believe in the same Jesus, all read the same Bible, and create 33,000 different denominations. I mean, Jesus says stuff like there's only one truth, but there's 33,000 denominations. That's, that disturbs me, that we're supposed to be unified, but we have 33,000. Maybe that's what's wrong with people's view of Christianity. We're supposed to be a unified, Jesus-seeking, Jesus-following people. There's only supposed to be one church. That's the first church in the book of Acts. But there's 33,000 different denominations. What that means is there's 33,000 different views of Christianity. There's 33 different ways, 33,000 different ways people have actually interpreted Scripture. Now, I don't know if that bothers you, but that bothers me. Because that tells us that one book, one book can have that many different opinions. And there's not that many different truths in that one book. So, what do we do with all this temptation to just pull an opinion out and follow someone's denomination? We have to study and learn to study the fine print in the Scripture. Because I know we all like the big ones. Almost everybody believes in the big Scriptures. You know what separates us? The fine print Scriptures. That's what gets us different. It's the Scriptures no one teaches and no one preaches on that we all seem to get a little different opinion about and I think the issue is, is that most of us don't take the time to get the context and read through the real fine print of the Scriptures. Most, of, most all of these, these different denominations, look to the Bible in order to build their belief systems. Here's the problem. We build churches and we build beliefs from a Scripture, not from Scriptures. That's the problem. That's why we've got groups that are calling themselves like Pentecostal and Baptist. <laughs> there's a whole lot more to it than Pentecost, and there's a whole lot more to it than getting baptized. There's a whole lot more than a presbyter. There's a whole lot more than a church of Christ. You see, we, we get ourselves little sections out, and we rally around certain scriptures, and it's dangerous because this is a massive book of truth. 
and all Scripture, every one, is given to us uh, to know, to learn, to study, to breathe in, to ingest, uh, because it's all Jesus Christ. Every one is valid and important, and not one should be greater or put above another, and we have got to resist the temptation to rally around our favorite Scriptures, uh, leaving out the context of the fine print because we don't want the commitments. It's dangerous. And we have to be careful. It's astonishing to read Christians post biblical references on Facebook about God's love and how the world should be. I see so many people half quoting scriptures. You do too. We see people. You've got the little colorful block you can do now on Facebook with like 18 words you can say. You can't fit the scripture in that thing. It'll cut you off and make it go back to plain posts. So we've got people putting in the highlights, the pretty parts of the scripture, and then saying, I obey this, therefore I'm a Christian. You cannot quote a scripture and tell the world because you obeyed one that you are a Christian. That's not how it works. To be a Christian, you must not have a verse that you do not obey. You hear me? I hope everyone hears this because we've got too many people that are hurting my name because you walk out there and say, look, I've got one that I obey, therefore I am a follower of Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you would keep all my commandments, not just the ones that you like, not just the ones that your pastor preach, not just the ones that fit your denomination, but you'll know all of me. You'll take the whole word of God. So don't say I'm a Christian because I follow a scripture. Say I'm a Christian because there's not one scripture I will not follow. I will follow every scripture. I'll follow scriptures in, in, in Matthew. I'll follow scriptures in Mark. And I'll also follow scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where the Bible says that the hair is given to a woman as glory and it should not be cut. Whoa, is that in the Bible? Absolutely it's in the Bible. There's so many scriptures in the Bible that we don't want to study because it's the fine print of the contract that Jesus purchased your soul for and you don't want to read what he got. He got a lot in that contract. I'm sold out. I'm signed up. But have you ever read the full contract? Have you ever read the fine print when you said, I accept Jesus as my personal Savior? I know a lot of people that accept Jesus as their personal Savior. They push the button, they don't read it. Do you know what you get when you push the button, I accept Jesus as my personal Savior? You have to go to Acts chapter 2, and you've got to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You have to continue in your walk with God, living a holiness lifestyle, because without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Do you know what you push when you push, I accept this contract? You pushed a massive Bible with a lot of fine print. Does anybody want to really know the fine print? Because it's going to be that fine print that judges us one day at judgment, not your favorite scriptures. I see so many half quoting. They say things that, that fits their agenda. I'm so tired of people using scriptures for their agendas. You know, let me give you an example. Somebody at your job or your church talks trash about you. So you get on Facebook not 10 minutes later and quote a scripture about loving your neighbor. Now, we all know who you're talking about. Every one of us know why you post a scripture. 
Because y'all done fought in front of everybody in church on Sunday, and it was Sunday night you was posting about how we're supposed to love our neighbor. We all know what you were doing. You're using a scripture to fit your agenda because it's convenient to you. That's not what we're about. That's not how we throw scriptures out. But too many people only use the scriptures when it fits their agenda, not because it fits God's agenda. So we see atheists who do the very same thing against us as Christians. I know atheists who don't believe in God that know the Bible better than some people that are in church. You know how I know that? Because they be, they're using the scriptures against Christians on Facebook posts. How, how is it that you know about the Word of God, but you don't believe in God? That tells me you took the time to study it. There's a hunger inside of you. There's something in you that says maybe God is real. That tells me that you feel like I feel about God, that there's a chance. That's what we have in common as atheists and Christians, is that you had to decide there was no God by asking if there was a God. I had to, I had to ask the same question, except I came to a different conclusion. I decided that there was a God, but we both asked the question. That means we both are curious about God. But atheists will take scriptures and use them to disqualify us. This is how we've learned to use the word of God. And it's not the will of God. When we study the Bible, we have to ask questions like an investigator because this is a mystery. It's okay. A mystery indicates that there is an answer if you'll look. I've always loved mysteries. I don't know if you guys have loved mysteries. Anybody in here, five people like mysteries. I've always loved mysteries. I think mysteries are cool. I've always loved mystery dinners where you go to a dinner and they do a, like a sometimes mystery of something that happened to someone. I love that kind of stuff. I like to think and investigate and figure stuff out. My oldest daughter, Odessa, is a lot like that. She's an investigator. We like to research things. This is a mystery. The word mystery tells us if you'll look into it, you'll find an answer. It's not confusion because confusion doesn't have an answer. Mysteries have answers that have to be found by hungry hearts. So I like to approach the Word of God like an investigator, trying to get answers out of things I don't understand in the Scripture. I ask questions like this, and if you're taking notes, then this is something you can write down. Who wrote the Scripture? That's good to ask. I'm trying to help people that want to have bread every day. Who wrote the Scripture? I want to know who wrote it. I want to know that. Who was it written to? Because I might be like the person they were writing to. I might be in the thing. That, that he was writing to people who were in the thing. I want to connect to the audience. Who was it written to? When was it written? This allows us to peer into history during that time period to see what the historical context was when it was written. Things like uh, the Bible says Paul taught that women are to be quiet in church as her husband's at home. A lot of people get all confused about that and they get their mind crazy because they don't understand culture of the day. We have got to understand culture, we've got to understand timings so that we can study the way life was when those writers wrote the scripture. It helps us so much understand what was happening. But do you take the time to go into the fine print? We have to ask ourselves, is there a scriptural pattern throughout the scripture? Is there a pattern? Anything I believe or teach as a pastor of this church, I look for patterns. I don't get up and just say a scripture and say we're going to go do it. Because I want to find the pattern. Because I can mess up a scripture, but I cannot mess up a scriptural pattern. A scriptural pattern has a whole army of people standing behind it saying, you can believe this is real. 
So I want to study the scriptures and look for patterns in scripture. That's why you can't emotionally just read the Bible and say, well, I like this scripture. It's my favorite scripture. Because you might understand the, there's no pattern behind it. You're misreading that scripture. We have to be careful not to put our agenda and our spin on it by having patterns. Ask yourself, is there a pattern of this thing in scripture? Now, ask yourself this. Is, is it my flesh, me, my body, my selfish agenda, is it uncomfortable while reading this? That's a good thing. Because if your flesh doesn't like it, it means your spirit loves it. Yeah. You hear it? We're, we're, we're dual nature. And if you're reading the Bible and you feel like closing it, keep reading. Because your spirit's shouting. Your spirit wants to hear it. Your spirit needs to feed on it. Uh, if your flesh does not like it, uh, when the Bible says uh, to take up your cross uh, and follow me, your spirit is shouting on the inside because your spirit will love what your flesh will hate. Uh, so when you study the Word of God, don't shut the Bible off because you don't like the Scripture. You've got to make sure your flesh is uncomfortable. A part of you will not like the truth. You just confess it right now. Admit it, write it down. A part of me won't like the truth. You keep thinking, I'll read the Bible when it's convenient, when it's easy. The Bible is not there to make you, all of you happy. It's, make, it's there to make half of you happy. The spirit, the part that lives forever. So stop expecting, stop expecting scripture to always feel good. Value the ones that hurt you. That's so important because people don't. Pastors don't preach on ones that are, that are negative. You are hurting your congregation. You do not love your people because the Bible commands us to preach the truth, to tell the truth in love. That means that love and truth are correlated. And if you don't tell the truth, then you can't love them. And so if we are holding back scriptures from the people we teach and preach, whether at home, whether your kids, or whether from the biggest pulpit in America, if you're not preaching the truth, you love yourself, and you do not love God, and you do not love your neighbor. Because the only way to tell the truth in the kingdom of God is with love. Love and truth go hand in hand. You know what? You don't love me whenever you don't tell me the truth when I'm buying something. Do you? You don't really love me if you say, oh, you should marry me. I've got everything you need. And then wait till you're married and say, hey, I got some things I need to tell you. You don't really love me, do you? If you really love me, you'd tell me the truth. You'd be honest with me. You would read the fine print, wouldn't you? It's time we understand that there are scriptures we won't like and they're good for us. We need to read them, study them, and apply them. Because another part of us, our spirit, will feel life come inside. It'll release us and free us. The word of God is light. And anything wicked trying to hide won't want the light turned on. Let the word of God shine in the dark places of your heart. Stop skipping scriptures and stop only reading the ones you like. Stop. This is the problem with searching websites for things and searching preachers because preachers and websites tend to only give you the parts that you want to hear because they're trying to sell something to you for their own agenda. You've got to go straight to the Word of God because the Word of God will hold back no punches. The Word of God will give you what you need. The Word of God will not sugarcoat it and help try to get more money 
out of you. The Word of God is there to save you. So you've got to go straight to the author. Because the author will not give you certain pieces to fit their own popularity. These men are dead. They're not trying to impress you. The Lord is alive, and he loves you. We have to have the light shine in darkness. I wonder how many scriptures we download as our favorite without a proper understanding of their cost and what we have to do with them. How many times have you seen these cute little scriptures on wood paintings framed up in our houses? For I know the plans that you have for me, saith the Lord. Plans for me to prosper, make money, be good looking, have a good husband. Oh, they're beautiful above our kitchen. They're beautiful above our oven. They're beautiful, yes, in our bathrooms. We love to have scriptures, but we don't usually finish them, do we? Normally, when I see Hobby Lobby signs, and I love Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A, God bless them all. Usually, though, I don't see the ones that say, and there shall be gnashing of teeth. Hell, fire, and brimstone. Usually when you walk into someone's kitchen, you don't see this one up here saying, judge not, forgive thy neighbor, anger not. You don't see all the ones, commit not adultery. At least half the homes in America can't have that one up. The reason we don't put these signs up because we don't want to think about anything that makes us pay a price. It's so much nicer just to put the ones we like. Yep, get our goosebumps going. But if you look close, if you zoom in, there's normally a little clause at the bottom of almost everything that we love on those scriptures. And it's terms of use. And if you zoom in with the Holy Ghost help, you'll see scriptures that you thought were your favorite until you study them out. And you find out very quickly that those scriptures come with a cost. There's not one scripture that you get to put up and claim it without fine print. Not one. So do not be deceived, Hobby Lobby lovers. Do not be deceived, those of you who are craft makers, those of you who think it's cute to have scriptures in your house, and those of you who post one-liners on Facebook, don't be deceived. Finish the rest of the context. Read the rest of the book. Read the rest of the chapter. Read the rest of the Bible. Because you're going to find out it's never as pretty as you thought. You get to take the car home and the payments and the maintenance. It's never what you thought. Read the fine print. Get the real mystery unfolded before you. Because it's confusing when you only have half of the truth. I also must admit tonight that um, preachers are guilty of not giving out full context. We get a little excited when we preach. I confess tonight, on behalf of many, we've all fallen to it. Sometimes we leave out some things. Most of us mean well. Some preachers do it on purpose because they don't want anybody leaving. They'd rather have a lukewarm church than one on fire. But it's tempting sometimes, even as preachers, to say those little one-liner clips. What are they called these days? Sound bites? It's so tempting to have a sound bite sermon. 
where you don't give all the, I like the tricks of the trade these days. You get a two-minute soundbite, and you take the best of the preacher's best parts, and you get it out there on Instagram. Everybody likes it, and they fall in love with it, and you know what they do after that? Click the link to see the full video where all the rest of the fine print's at. See, we use these small one-liners because it, it melts our hearts and it brings us in and we love it. Sometimes we half quote, we pick a good one out of a whole paragraph because it sounds good. Let's, let's look at some of these preacher ones. These are preacher ones. We love these preacher ones. Are you ready? Romans 8 and 28 says, And we know that all things work together for the good. And right about here is where the organ goes, and everybody goes crazy and jumping and shouting and bobby pins flying out uh, and everybody runs around the aisles, uh, high-fiving, rolling on the ground, hugging each other. Oh, yeah, we know, we know all things, all things work together, work together, fall good, fall good. Everybody loves it. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything else but that, and the whole church go crazy 30 minutes. I don't know what kind of church you go to, but I was raised in some churches that didn't take a whole lot more than that. Because it's so exciting to think that, oh, everything's going to work out for good. There are people out there listening to you say that as a, as a cool preacher, and they're going, that's right, that's right, I'm going to have everything work out good for me. Everybody, sinner, saint, devil worshipers, everybody's going to work out good for you. That's, that's what you've said because you didn't clarify the fine print. You didn't say who it was for. You didn't ever finish the context. If you don't finish the context, you don't know who gets to have it work out good. Let's, let's finish the context. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good. To them who love God. Wait a minute, those of you who don't love God, stop shouting. Not going to work out good for you, my friend. If I loved you, I'd tell you the truth right now. I cannot encourage you beyond your dedication. I cannot pat you on the back greater than the praise you give God. I cannot help you feel better about yourself uh, more than what God thinks about you. I cannot give you a narrative that is false. Uh, I can't do that. It's not right, uh, and that's not love. The truth is, if you want it to work out good, you need to read the fine print uh, and accept the terms of use. Uh, you have got to make sure that you love God to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. Whose purpose? Whose purpose? His purpose. Not even your purpose. Fine, print. If you love God, Jesus said, if you love God, the word of God tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you've been called according to whose purpose? You see, your situation may not end up helping your purpose. Listen, this is important for teaching tonight. Because whenever you love the Lord, your situation can mess up your purpose and help His purpose. 
This is what you get when you sign up for Jesus. You get his purpose elevated and your purpose lowered. You cannot have your purpose winning and his purpose winning because your agenda is different than his agenda. But if you love God, you can celebrate because it's going to be good for his purpose. But pastor, I don't like what I'm going through. It does not matter. When you love God, his purpose shall be completed. I was not called to my purpose. I was called to his purpose. I can praise him in the storm because the storm elevates his purpose. Pastor, how can, I, how can I deal with the fine print? Here's how you deal with the fine print. You understand the fine print is there to elevate his purpose. So it's going to work out okay for you, my friend, if you love God and if you're called to his purpose. You'll define what happened to you good, just like Jesus does. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then? What shall we then say to these things? Oh, I can hear the preacher preaching right now. General Conference 2008, uh, the whole place about to go crazy. Uh, what shall we then say to these things? Uh, if God be for us, uh, who can be against us? Everybody has a good time. Never everybody thinks about it. Nobody looks at the words in it. Nobody breaks the scripture down. It's just fun. Because we think that the way the preacher says it is the way God thinks about it. What's the context? If God be for us, if God be for us, if God indicates that there are those God is not for. So you can't shout it out until you figure out if God's for you or not. You've got to ask yourself in the fine print, am I one of the ones that is God is for? Am I one of the ones protected? Am I one of the ones that God is for or not? Because before I walk out of here feeling immortal and unpowerful, I've got to ask myself, am I covered by Jesus? Am I serving him correctly? Is God for me or not? Maybe that's why some of you don't feel very victorious, because you're quoting half lies and half truths, saying stuff like God's for me. This is why some of you are angry at God. Hear me tonight. This is why some of you are bitter at God because you thought he should have been there and he should have never been there because you've been kicking him out of your life for years. How many times I have people say this? Where was God at when I, where was God at when I, please hear me tonight. God is wherever you last put him. Where was God at when you had that trial? Yeah, where was he? I agree. Was he in your prayer room? Was he in your heart? Was the Bible beside your bed at night? Were you talking to him? Were you praying to him? Where was God at during your storm? Where has he been at your whole life? Because you ask for God to show up when you have a trial, but you think nothing of him when things are good. Where was God at? I don't know. Where was he at? Have you been going to church? Have you been submitted to God? Is God for you? I mean, God wants you to win, but I mean, is God for you? That means is God on your side? Are you on his side? Because the Bible says it's if. There's a major difference in you being for God and God being for you. A lot of people say I'm for God. That's good. But are, is God for you? I, I can be for the ninja in my neighborhood. That doesn't mean he's for me. He's going to come show up and help me when someone breaks in. Just because you're for something doesn't mean it's for you. 
Some of you like people on Instagram that don't like you back. That's kind of embarrassing. You ever thought about that? I like their page. I follow them. They don't follow me. Yeah, that's reality. You can be for someone and they're not for you. Jeremiah 29 and 8 gives us more of a context here. Listen to this. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which, which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. Now that's that famous one we got over bathroom toilets all across America. That's the one we got right there in the kitchen before we start to cook a meal. We don't know how to cook. We look at it and get encouraged. I can't do this, Jesus. This recipe has things. I don't know what they are. I don't know why in the world our most encouraging signs are in our kitchens until I started to cook this past couple weeks. And now I realize I need a word of encouragement. Anybody out there understand now why our signs are in our kitchens and bathrooms? I'm not going to talk about bathrooms. Y'all can figure that one out. But I am going to talk about the kitchen, all right? The kitchen, the kitchen makes, makes sense. Other places do too, but the kitchen really does. We got to be encouraged when we start cooking. And we put this sign up that says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace. Oh, some of y'all feeling good right now. Not of evil to give you an expected end. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wait, thank you, Jehovah. Wait a minute, it's Jeremiah. Wait, who was he talking to? What, what's going on in the scripture? Let's keep reading it. Verse 12. Then shall you call upon me and shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken to you, I will listen to you. 13, 14. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Are you in the context still? Are you reading the fine print of the contract? I know you want to quote the scripture that's your favorite one, 11. I know you like that one, but have you kept reading what you're getting into now? Because in order to have number 11, you have to keep having 13 and 14. You have to seek the Lord, and then you'll find him. You have to search for him with all of your heart. Verse 14 says, And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into this place where I have caused you to be carried away captive. This was written directly to Israel, not to your kitchen. But we will put this up and say, This is for me, God. This is a direct word I felt from me today. This speaks of Israel's return from their literal captivity after the 70 years is up. Of course, it's true that all Scripture is given to us for inspiration. So I know that you can apply the Scripture, this one, to your heart. I know you can apply it, but you better finish it if you're going to apply it spiritually. You better finish it. If you don't call on me, he says, come pray to me, I won't listen to you. Are you reading the fine print? If you don't seek me, you won't find me. 
I have to want to be found. If you don't search with all your heart, I'll stay hidden from you. All these people who are asking where God's at, I'm asking you how much you're looking for him. No, no, I'm not asking you whether or not that you're saying you want to see him. I'm asking you how much are you getting out and looking for him. You can't lose your kid and sit at home going, I wonder where he's at. I just wonder where he's at. If you are looking for something, you're on the mission every day. You can't have that, God, if you're not looking. You see, the freedom here is, it's, it's hinging on you, whether you seek him or not. That's the context of the scripture. It's not just a promise that feels good. It's a promise that you have got to earn. It's conditional, fine print. In Luke 6.38, a few more tonight before we close out. Give, and it shall be given. Are you ready for the organ? If you get nothing else out of this message, I hope you enjoy the vocal organ playing that I have done tonight for the world to experience. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Hey, press down. Hey, oh, running over. Oh, shaking together, running over. Hey. And the whole church just starts throwing, oh, oh, throwing money out, throwing money out. Money's falling from the ceiling. They're, oh, just give it out. Wait a minute. I have to finish the scripture because remember the, the context? Have you ever finished the scripture? I don't like finishing the scripture either. Let's, let's do it though. We had it. We had to force ourselves. Luke 6.38. Shall men give into your bosom? For with the same measure that you meet, with all, it shall be measured to you again. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking to a large crowd of followers. He just finished stating that you should love your neighbor. That's the context. After he says you should love your neighbor, then he says in verse 37, judge not and ye shall not be judged. Judge not, and you won't be judged. He didn't say that I'll make sure no one judges you. He's saying, logically, if you don't go around judging folks, they won't go around judging you. The context here is not about you giving an offering and getting, getting money. That's not what it means. I'm sorry to all the TV evangelists out there who spin it differently. Touch the screen right now. Put your seed offering in right now. I, I believe that when you give, you're blessed. I believe that. But that's not the context to use in church. That's not the scripture. Because you're out of context. That's not the word of God. The word of God on giving is a whole other subject. This right here says, if you want your brother to walk around judging you all the time with a bullseye on your back, then go around putting bullseyes on their backs. The whole context here is about when you give to someone, don't be surprised when they give back to you. You fix my fence, I'll help come repair your oven. This is the way it works, and Jesus was teaching in context how we can make sure and love our neighbors. So judge not, and he shall not be judged. Condemn not, and he shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. This isn't talking about Jesus forgiving us. Because we're already forgiven. Y'all know that one? This is talking about how mean people won't always be forgiven you until you forgive them. 
Now, that's not right, but that's what people do. That's what people do. So, he's teaching here. You have got to make sure you judge not or you will be judged also. But I think Christians learn this one at their baptism, right? Don't they? I know people that don't know anything else about Jesus can barely spell Jesus. They put two S's, they put three S's in Jesus. There are people that don't know how to spell Jesus, but yet the first scripture they learn when they get out of the baptistry is, judge not, judge not, stay back. I got my judge not scripture out. I know so many people that throw the scripture out and they never finish it. The Bible does not say we're not allowed to judge. The Bible says that when you do it, people will judge you back. People say, it's a sin to judge. It doesn't say that. Because the Greek word for judgment doesn't mean to put someone in hell. Not right here it doesn't. It means to decide whether or not a person is trying to hurt you or help you. It means to deduce, to logically think and figure out, to strategize. It means to look at the way someone is living and go, you know what? I think they're doing this. And whenever you walk up to somebody and say, I'm looking at you and I think you're doing this, uh, don't be surprised when they go, well, I'm looking at you too. And I think you're doing this. You've got to finish it out. And you shall not be judged. So Peter cuts off this guy's ear in the garden, right? Chop! Cuts it off trying to defend Jesus. He was taken prisoner, and Jesus told Peter that those that live by the sword shall die by the sword. Did Jesus tell Peter never to use a sword again? No. For all of you out there that like to carry guns and preparing for the apocalypse, Jesus didn't say don't carry guns. But he did say this, don't be surprised if you pull a gun out, somebody's going to shoot you. Yeah. See, the whole concept is there are repercussions to choices we make. Peter, you pull a sword out, somebody bigger than you is going to pull a bigger sword out. If you don't want to instigate getting cut, put your, put your sword up. That's the concept here. If you want people to give to you, give to them. If you want someone to stop walking around judging you all the time, then stop walking around judging people all the time. If you go easy on them, people will go easy on you. If you don't mind a little judgment every now and then, they won't mind a little judgment every now and then either. You've got to give it before you get it out. You've got to take it sometimes where you can give it. Thank God for our enemies. You know why? Because some of us would never know the truth about ourselves if we didn't have an enemy in our life. You see, this wasn't about eternal salvation. It was about the relationship with each other. But because we take scriptures out of context so many times, because they're fun to preach about and we like these little short clips, we miss the meaning of them and we create doctrines. We create denominations. And we, we take pride in the fact that we know more about this subject than they do. But we should all be seeking to know more about the whole thing. This wasn't about salvation. This is about the way we treat each other it's so important we don't miss this if you want a big target on your back uh, start shooting arrows at everybody else's mistakes and people will find flaws with you this is why the people that throw the most judgment around are so miserable because nobody gives you a day off 
You can't show up and be like, hey, you're doing it wrong and expect someone not to show you what you're doing wrong too. It's not right. The first thing that, that a person does when you find fault is they pull out their magnifying glass and they look for your faults. That's what they do. They try to see if the person that's finding fault is justified to find fault. Who do you think you are to find fault with me when you yourself have faults too? That's why the Bible says get the beam out of your own eye so you can get the speck, the splinter, out of your brother's eye. You see, here's the beauty of finding faults in other people in what Jesus was teaching is you will see your own flaws in everybody else's. At least you should. When you find fault, and we are all good at doing it, we're all good at doing it, the first thing you should do is ask yourself, do I have the same flaw in me? This is Christianity. This is the truth about Christianity. There should be no mysteries in Christianity. Very few. Maybe about God, but not about Christianity. This should be so clear tonight that we have got to make sure we understand Confess our faults one to another. We don't need more church police. We don't need that. We need more prisoners of Jesus Christ. Before his conversion, the Apostle Paul hunted Christians like a holy, war, holy law officer, killing and placing many of the first church Christians in prison. No wonder Paul begins many of his New Testament letters to the church by calling himself Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Jesus turned the prideful professor into a church confessor. Jesus has the power to change somebody from being a massive religious killing everybody else into someone who confesses. I am the chief of all sinners. That's Christianity. That's the truth about who we're supposed to be. When you get the itch to judge somebody, we should look in the mirror and make sure we're not looking at ourselves. Because everybody that we find faults with, typically that fault is first in us. You see, you know why you know so much about someone else's flaw? Because you've been fighting it yourself for a very long time. You know how some people, you recognize it when you meet them? Because that's you. That's you. The Word of God is not the only mirror that we look into to find flaws, but our brothers and sisters are. And this is why, as a church, we need each other. Because I wouldn't know I had some flaws, except I found them first in you. True Christianity should be without mystery. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 and 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. On this part one of the series, The Mystery of Christianity, I wanted to make it very clear tonight that we will never unveil the mystery of who we're supposed to be until we begin by having real biblical discussions about what the Bible's saying and the context of the Scriptures. Because the majority of conversations I have had with people that are confused are confused because they don't study, they read. And the Bible does not tell us to read the Bible. 
it says for us to study, to show ourselves approved, approved, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed. Paul told Timothy, this is what you do with the Word of God. You don't read it, you study it. And I rise tonight very, very soberly and passionately to tell you, we have got to stop throwing one-liners of the Word of God around as if it's the ultimate truth. We have got to start studying, discussing every part of the context so that we can figure out who we're supposed to be as Christians and who God really is. So we will continue on on Wednesday nights and we hope you all join us here because I'm going to go into more deeper things about confusion about who a pastor should be, what a preacher should be, what a saint should be. And I hope that I can unveil a lot of mysteries about church, Christianity, deep things that I've never exposed or talked about before. I want it to be a blessing to every viewer in every home because right now there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions about things and we really can't stay close to a, a mother church and we can't stay close to a, a church building. So right now there's so many fears and questions about our walk with God. I'm hoping through this series to comfort you and give you the answers that you're looking for so that you can study and find that peace at home when you can't get out you can't get through a church service. I want to be a blessing to have videos available for you. So start today. Start studying the Word of God. Start looking for context when you read. Ask questions. Seek Him. Seek the Lord, and you will find Him. He will never keep things hidden. Whatever you need to find, if you seek it, He will open it up unto you. Let's take the Word. Let's take the truth. Let's take this and give it to everybody right now because too many people are confused. It's not the will of God to be confused about the doctrine, the teaching, the truth of God's Word. It should be easier. It should be real. It should be something we can grab a hold of, something we can do without anybody around. And that's what I want to do with this series. I pray God's blessings right now, Lord, over every home, every family. I pray, God, that you would continue to encourage them, help them find the bread when there's nobody around. God, my passion tonight is to help people realize that, that we're going to be deceived by not spending time in your word. And we're going to be deceived not knowing the truth about you because we wait on some preacher or somebody online to tell us. But God, I'm praying you'll help us fall back in love with your word and time with you so that you can unlock and unveil. Man cannot reveal all these truths to us. It's impossible. We must go to you and spend time at your feet. We must open up the word. We must take notes. We must ask questions. We must make sure we're following you like the disciples did for three years, God. We have got to be disciples of the Word. We've got to spend time with you, God. We've got to know the fullness of who you are and not just parts of you. God, I don't want to just be a label of the church. I want to be full Christian, God. I want to be what you want us to be. I want to make sure it's clear to the world who we are, who we should be. Let there be no false, no false Christians in our church. Let us be real. Let us be sensitive and sincere, God. And we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for joining us tonight. We pray the blessings of God on you. Stay safe. Stay encouraged.